Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the specialist digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Now, for long-time listeners, you will probably already know who we are. You may have even heard one of our ads on a previous episode of this podcast. But for those of you who don't, here is a short introduction. At Create Engage, we help you create an effective marketing strategy for your consultancy, a strategy that will resonate with your target clients. And then we support you by delivering the campaigns you need to turn that strategy into a reality helping you to build your brand, raise your profile with your prospective clients, and ultimately generate return on investment from your marketing activity. Now, I could tell you about many of the great clients that we work with and the results we've delivered for them. But instead, I'm going to do something much more powerful and something that I would recommend you do for your own marketing. I'm going to let our clients do the talking for us. If you are currently thinking about marketing for your consultancy, you're going to want to listen to this. Create Engage started the process for us. They managed it end to end. They came up with some really creative ideas and we were really happy with the work that they did, which meant that we could just focus on running the business. Not only did we start conversations with clients that we hadn't spoken to before, but also there was tangible return on investment by some work that we were given. They've helped right from the initial shaping of the idea through to helping us work out what our end goal was. They've supported us with the visual identity and our positioning of the brand. We've had an immediate expansion of our network and, and have initiated a raft of new conversations with owners, CEOs in, in target client organisations and has led to us winning new projects already. One of the greatest compliments, I guess, is that one of our competitors even said that uh, they really like what we're doing with marketing. They wish they could be doing something as good. So from our perspective, we couldn't recommend Create Engage any more than this. I would certainly recommend Create Engage if you're a consulting firm. They really understand consultancies and the sort of challenges we face. And uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get much better marketing anywhere else. So I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Create Engage. They did a really good job for us. So if you're looking for an agency that can help you achieve the results that our clients just described, then head to our website createengage.co.uk where you can find out more about how we support consulting firms like you. You can download our latest ebook and you can get in touch to talk about how we can help you take your consultancy to the next level through digital marketing. Hi and welcome to Climate Consulting. Today's episode is one that I know you are going to love but it might not be for the reasons you first think. Right now, we as an agency are getting a lot of questions from clients about what they should do now that in-person events are an option. Should you run them? Should you not? And if you are going to, how can you make the most of them? Now, you may not be expecting me as someone who runs a digital marketing agency to say that I'm a big fan of in-person events, but I am. I'm a huge fan when they're done properly. Sadly, too often they're treated as a one-off and not considered as part of a consultancy's broader marketing strategy. Almost always fail to deliver the ROI that you're looking for. So what should you do instead? Well, this episode, as well as having tons of great content, which I'm going to come on to in a minute, is a fantastic example of what you should be doing if you are choosing to run in-person events. This episode shows you how you can repurpose your events as part of your broader digital marketing strategy. This presentation that you're about to listen to was recorded at our Bristol and Bath Marketing Mixer. And as I said, 
we're bringing it to you as a podcast. The cost for doing that, a £40 lav mic from Amazon. And I've put the link to the mic that we use in the show notes if you'd like to get your own. If you are running your own event or you're speaking at someone else's, this simple approach can give you tons of content to use across your marketing or in your own podcast, just like we're doing here, dramatically increasing the longevity and ROI from your event. But that's not the only thing today's episode will give you. As I say, I get a lot of questions and many consulting partners and CEOs ask us about if they are going to hire a head of marketing, what should they look for and how can they tell the best from the rest? And it's not always easy. Likewise, I get a lot of questions from heads of marketing in consulting firms about how they can build an effective strategy on a budget. How can they engage their teams? How can you get the content you need? What are the secret tips and tricks that you can use to compete with the big players in your space who have huge budgets, huge teams, when it's just you or just you plus one or two? And in this episode, you're going to hear the answers to all of these questions, regardless of whether you're the partner hiring for head of marketing or you're the head of marketing looking to build that strategy. And you're going to hear from someone who I would say is definitely one of the best in our industry, Kevin Matthews, global head of marketing at Demonor. But don't take my word for it. In the run-up to our marketing mixer, we were promoting it on LinkedIn, and this is what his colleague said about him, and you can find this on LinkedIn for all to read. From the perspective of the business, Kevin has transformed our marketing function, improved our implementation of our marketing infrastructure, increased our leads coming in, and has given me time back to actually get business done, all in less than 12 months. With decades of experience, building marketing functions for boutique professional services businesses with global ambitions. Kevin knows exactly what to focus on to deliver maximum return for investment, something that he has helped firms like Leithway and now Demonor achieve. In this talk, Kevin shares his step-by-step -step guide to building the marketing function for your consultancy, what you should be focusing on and the pitfalls to look out for along the journey, including where to start and the common mistakes that new heads of marketing make when they go into a professional services business, how he engages colleagues to help drive the firm's marketing and generate that great content he needs to grow his firm's reach, and why CSR is a key focus for him, and how he's been able to maximize its marketing benefits for both the firms he's worked for and the communities he's worked in. Whether you are a head of marketing who needs to create an impact on a limited budget, or you're a partner responsible for marketing in your firm, Kevin's talk will give you plenty of food for thought. So, with the build-up complete and my intro done, all that is left to say is please enjoy today's episode, taken live from our Bristol and Bath Marketing Mixer with Kevin Matthews. Thank you. It's always embarrassing when someone talks about you and you're in the room. It's always much better when you're not in the room, I always think. So, as Nick said, what do I do? I think the common trend that I found actually with all of my roles and what I particularly love doing is I tend to take on the first head of marketing roles within a firm. And what those firms tend to be, they tend to be an established boutique or a niche consultancy of some kind. And they will often have a transition point in their business where it could be change of CEO, additional funding coming in, change of board. Something has stimulated a requirement of change and transformation within the business. And they realize that one of those roles that they need, and I tend to call them an infrastructure role, like because I'm not a contractor, I'm not a freelancer, I go in in a perm role, 
But equally, I appreciate that often because of what I enjoy doing, it doesn't necessarily have that longevity where you tend to find people that tend to make a career role within a company. I will tend to do a role and at some point I go, yeah, I think the job's up now. And then I'll often shake hands with the CEO and we'll help each other transition on because I realize that there are other people with better skills to then take on that business to the next level. So I'll kind of quite often then move on and find another challenge. But that's what I like doing. I'll often go into an environment where there's literally little or no history of marketing at all. So I'm kind of talking with people who quite often, actually, even on the Exco, maybe were even opposed to hiring a head of marketing because they turned around and said, we're doing fine. Why do we need to put all that cash? You're nodding. So I'm, I'm guessing you know that, that experience. But, you know, that that's something that I do find is quite common. And it's the blank canvas. That's the third bit. People will often say to me, well, you know, I'll say, well, what's the scope of the role? What do you want to achieve? And quite often they will turn around and say, well, actually, we have no idea. We just feel like we need a head of marketing to help us get to the next stage. So you just create it. So you're going in with a completely blank canvas. Okay. Key highlights. Okay. I've written this down. I'm only writing this because it just gives you an idea of some of the things that over my journey of of doing these roles, it's enabled me to actually experience and achieve with these firms. And that's what, I've got to be honest, that's what I love about doing within them because you get that blank canvas, you get the opportunity to build a function from scratch. And it's enabled me to do things like this. So this is where Nick and I cross paths a lot, but I was able to win European Business Podcast of the Year, literally creating a podcast back, what was it, a decade ago before podcasting became popular in this country and it was only really me trying to take on the BBC I think it was at the time but you know I was able to carve out a niche it it had a fascinating b2b marketing angle that I was able to breed into something in a very cheap and cheerful and clever way that worked really well for us commercially from a brand perspective that was fascinating CSR, I'm a huge fan of CSR, and I'll talk more about that in future. But when we were running, when the Best Companies to Work For Awards kind of kicked off and became really popular, I was part of getting our firm to eighth, seventh, and then fourth in the country, which I was very, very proud of. Scaling, I think that's the key part of what I'm always asked to do in my jobs, which is to take firms from being an established boutique into a genuine mid-size contender for whatever industry they're in. And I totally appreciate those industries tend to be niche. You know, I'm not someone that knows how to deal with a business that's 500, 2,000 people. I don't know that. And I'm not going to try and give advice on that. I tend to work with niche consultancies and working in that kind of vein. But within that, I've worked out how you can get a small firm into something that actually is quite an established global player and within that process. Okay, who is Demino? I'm bringing this up because this actually leads me on to the first point, which is what I'll try and do is, is I think, at least with the firms I work with, what there tends to be is this almost complacency of the value that actually exists within the firm already. And I think, funnily enough, that's something that I as that fresh external 
eyes, ears, voice, whatever you want to call it, I can come in with that fresh thinking and that bit of perspective on that firm. And I can actually look at it and go, do you realize this is who you are? And and quite often, just by repackaging some of the, the words, the phrases, the history, the just the USPs, the, or, or even the cultural aspects that you hear people in the firm talking about, you can actually quite quickly start building a story about the firm. And just what I tend to call unearthing all those values that actually are there already. But I think quite often, and particularly with the firms that I work with, because they're established, because they've been around, because they, they kind of go, yeah, but, you know, we're just, I don't know, we're really good at what we do and people just really like working with us. But they just get complacent over actually the why. Why do they work with you and what strengths are they? And I brought this up because when I joined Demonor, I was like, who the hell are these people? I don't understand what the brand is. I don't understand what the name is. I don't understand anything about the company. And so I've deliberately threaded some of this through my presentation tonight just to help you understand the sort of things that I was picking up on and where those those little nuggets of value can just exist around you all the time. And what I found out was that Demonor is just shortened from defense of the minorities. It's French. But the history of the firm is the fact that they built their business around defending the rights of minorities. I was like, guys, I said, do you realize the whole industry would cry out for a story like that? You guys have got it. So that was one of the first things that I just repackaged for them. So simple. It was right here all the time, but it just took some fresh ideas just to look at it in a different way. And that's why I'm just throwing in slides like this, because it's incredible the value that you've got around you. You don't need to spend a penny on unearthing it. Okay. The first thing I always say is, look, every single situation is different. What I did at Simon Holdings 10 years ago is completely different to what I'm doing with Demonor today. And I think that the, the one thing I would say is as a marketer, I think remaining curious, constantly trying to challenge yourself, trying to question everything you do to make it as effective as possible. That's something I've always taken with every single role I do. It's just, yeah, never getting tired of what you do, never, never thinking that you've nailed the formula for doing something. I think there's nothing wrong with just constantly experimenting, constantly challenging and just trying stuff and just seeing what works, you know, each company totally different. I found that every single time, wherever I've worked, whatever firms I've even done some external consulting for so different. And, and I think that is just so important to always understand that every single scenario, no matter how similar it looks on the surface, they are all different. They're all unique. And that means if they are unique, they've got wonderful qualities that you can bring out from within there that quite could match something very different that you can share externally. Culture, culture is key. And I'll, I'll always say that, and you'll, you'll see me talk about that in some of the other slides. But, you know, I, I, there's a phrase I use, which is don't fight the culture of the business. I've seen marketers go into firms, go into firms that I've then left in a good position and, and they've tried to fight the culture and it's not worked. Whenever I go into a firm, I always take that time to really try and appreciate the culture within the business. I'm very respectful of the culture within the business. And I know that a number of you come from agency side as well. And I also think, you know, that is, as, as 
you can all appreciate, probably even more important when you're just parachuted in as an agency side and, and, and somehow unearthing that culture and respecting that culture is, is very important. And then the final bit, particularly with the size of firms that I work with, the ability to flex and pivot is so important because I'm going into very immature environments. I, I mean that in the most respectful kind of way, but they're so young on their marketing journeys and they're not established. And also, you know, and this is the bit that Nick and I have been talking about a lot over the last couple of months and Frankie, is that I'm dealing with growing pains of the business now because I am stimulating growth within the business. And so I've got to be very mindful that I'm actually adding a, excuse my French, a shitload of workload on people because this business is scaling quite rapidly now. So I've got to be really, really mindful and respectful that I am making people more stressed. So keeping them on side is even more important with keeping them on that journey and helping them appreciate that what we're trying to do here is for the good, but we're going to go through some growth pains. So again, you know, it's a very important, important part of, of the role, at least with the type of roles that I do. So this is the bit now that, you know, is, is the first kind of core message, I think, of what, of what Nick was, was hoping to achieve for the evening. So sorry about all the ramblings before that, but building a new function. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're freelancing, whether you're, you know, on an agency side or, or you're working in-house. I think whenever you're going into, you know, it's, it's called building a new function here, but it's starting a new role. It's, it's taking on a new project. It's exactly the same. But one thing I have placed, and I didn't do it well enough when I was younger and doing some of the other roles, but it's something I place incredibly importance on now, is identify the goals. Every board that has brought me in has a goal in mind, but sometimes they're not, they can't share it that easily initially because maybe they haven't thought about it that much. And quite often the strategic goal of the business might be a bit different to what they initially think it is. And it took me not doing it right a couple of times to then realize how absolutely important it is to get that right. And I feel as though I've got that right at Demonor. You know, that's what this talk's all about today. It's, it's not about me. As I said, I'm, I'm no marketing guru. I'm just a guy that's been doing this and has gone through ups and downs and, you know, hopefully has achieved more wins than losses. But I've made my fair share of mistakes. And, you know, when I look back at some of my previous roles, I was kind of excited to be in them and excited to go on the journey. But I didn't press home enough about what does that journey look like? What does the goal at the end of that journey look like? Let's get that aligned. And the second thing that I'm really kind of almost paranoid about now is being able to actually measure everything. And for me anyway, that's just having, particularly in my mind, having a nice singular CRM that can see my user journey right from when they start entering my funnel right the way through to seeing people when they turn into a, a transaction, if we want to call it that at the end of the day, but a paying client of the business. And I have to say, getting all of that under one single CRM. So I use HubSpot. I find HubSpot works for my roles, for my industry. But I have to say, compared to some of the systems I've had before where, that didn't communicate that clearly, my God, my life with HubSpot is just wonderful because I'm now using HubSpot as my catalyst to fuel the board meetings that go on. And so I've got a CEO who's like, this is fantastic. I've never had live business data before 
because he just didn't realize it existed. And it's just quite fascinating when you can stop people going, oh, yeah, how can we export that as a report on an Excel sheet? Which is, you know, ah, oh, I hate it when I hear that. I go, no, I'm going to build you a live dashboard in five minutes so that you can take that live dashboard to your board meeting and show people real-time business data that if you've got queries on, you can drill down and actually filter on that and actually look at that in a real-time environment. And I have to say, that's hugely valuable, particularly for when I'm running this very small team, very small budget, and I've got a diverse range of stakeholders to keep entertained with this. You've heard me already mention this, but I'll come back to it time and time again. Unearth and repackage the existing strengths of the firm. That's where I have always, always started. And, and I'll explain why on a future slide. But there are so many strengths in every single business because otherwise they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't have existed. They wouldn't have got through that initial phase of building, of growing, of establishing. And that's the thing I always take credit on because we know how many businesses start and how many businesses fail. And if, if the businesses are still around, that is a sign that they've got something. And I just think at times we're too quick to go, let's add another layer on top. Whereas actually I do the opposite. I dig down. I actually start looking under the surface a lot more when I go into a role and I want to dig out what's there. And I just want to bring it up to the surface and kind of let it breathe, you know, and let it express itself. That's something I always love doing. And the final thing, particularly for those who take on a role like me, is like there can be a tendency to feel pressured to go in and be the, the marketing person that has the vision of how the business is going to look in three or five years time. And that's just not the case. I'm never scared to go in and just start off with a very, very tactical marketing plan. And again, I'm going to explain why I do that in a second. But it has so many more advantages. And quite simply, the biggest one is because realistically, how can you build a three to five year vision for a business that you don't even understand yet? That for me is the most obvious thing. And the point is, I have no problem saying that to a board. I had no problem saying it to Demonor during my interviews with the board. They were like, so what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm not going to come in and give you this five-year plan that I think you should do. I'm going to come in and I'm going to learn about the business and I'm going to unearth the wonderful qualities that you clearly have here. And I'm going to repackage those so that we can actually start celebrating those. And that approach always seems to be welcomed for me. It, it just works because the board aren't feeling threatened that you're going to come in and try and take over or try and take them away from who they have been. Because these are people that have often built up this company from scratch and are very passionate about the business. So I'm very respectful of that. And equally, I want them to feel very passionate about what they've created. And so that's a big chunk of what I try and do. But again, I'll explain that. I know there's other slides where I can talk about that. So this stuff is, is really relevant, I think. So building and scaling, this all flows quite nicely from what we were just talking about. But I will never be that bull in a china shop. I don't think you need to be. I personally don't because I think these businesses are already established. They're already successful. Who am I to go in and just try and reshape it? Why? It's working. All they've asked to do is just scale it. So if they want to scale, then that's, that's just a different part of the business journey that we want to take them on. But if you go in with a bull in a china shop mentality, 
again, in my experience, you're just going to piss people off. It's just going to hate you. They're just going to go, whoa, 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 hold on. We were doing quite fine, thank you very much. And all you're doing is just telling us that we were doing it wrong. And I've seen marketers do that. And, you know, it's quite scary at times when you don't see that they've taken the time to just give that respect and that subtlety of just being aware of what is there in that in that firm already. The other thing is, see what can be achieved for free. I think, you know, the experience I've had with boards is that they immediately panic and go, oh God, we're getting in a marketer. They're just going to absolutely try and chuck all these budgets at us and chuck all this as expenditure. There is so much you can do for free. And as I said, even going back to the point I said earlier about the story, bringing out the story, have an eye on the future. I think that is really important because particularly at the early stages, when I'm going into these blank canvases, the whole evolution of the role is just going to change so quickly. And something I'm always really mindful of is how is this going to work for the business in 18 months time? So if I try and implement a system now, will it still be fit for purpose in 18 months time when either the headcounts doubled or the turnovers doubled or the transaction numbers have doubled? So I'm always trying to think of if I build something now, is it still going to be fit for purpose in 18 months' time? And I, I think that's really, really important. And again, I do think this is really important when an external agency comes into a business as well. I think it's really important if you can show that you're actually, because we all know that you know an agency will often have a particular shelf life or a specific project that they're here to deliver. And again, if you're able to demonstrate that you're considering the implications and the practicality of what you're bringing in beyond your life cycle there. I think that is a real sign of consideration for the existing business. And that will be respected by the employees who are still there beyond that. And I think that's very important. And I've said here, be mindful at which the speed that your needs are going to evolve. And that's something I found when I've been building out these, these functions that you are going to require different marketing skills at an unbelievable rate when you're going through this journey. And it's very hard to anticipate them. And, you, you know, this is where I'm going to give a plug for Nick, and this is where he feels quite awkward. But I cannot find a hire that could give me Google AdWords experience, Google Analytics, or I might need some videography here. I might need, actually, I've, I've got a real, I need some social content written over here. Or I might need a webinar organized over here. You can't find that within a single employee. And even if I could, I can't justify having three or four employees because I don't need it full time. I just need it for a few hours each week. And so I think something I've always done is rather than go in with, oh, I need to get an assistant or I need to do that, I will actually have a couple of agencies that I've built up relationships with over the years that I will often parachute in with me to give me that bandwidth and that support and that skill, that access to skills that I need to help scale the, the solution and deliver some real high quality results without me ever having to impact that balance sheet. So I can put his cost on my P&L account. That keeps the board happy because they know they're not making any long-term decisions in the business and it keeps the balance sheet light and I think from working with Excos, working with boards, if you can keep that balance sheet light and keep that long-term commitment light, then it does give them that, that confidence 
in what you are doing for the business because they don't feel exposed to the business. And the final bit, there's nothing wrong with experimenting. You are brought in to help change the business and transform the business. But what I'm very open with is I just say, hey, we're just going to experiment with this stuff. If it doesn't work, and that goes back to the previous slide about where you need to flex and pivot, you just say what we are doing, and the stage I'm with Demonor right now, even with the marketing budget, I have said this is a working budget and it's a working strategy because we don't know what's right or wrong yet for the business because we haven't even been through a full 12-month cycle. Let's just experiment. But again, I think quite often we won't share that language with the exco or with the board or with the stakeholders. And I think it's so important just to say, look, until we've got the data to prove what's working and what isn't working, or until we've got the data to show we've tried investing £5,000 here and £5,000 here, or 50000 here and 50000 there, we can't compare, we can't work out what is the most effective way to help the business grow. And that's where the experimentation comes in. If we're not experimenting, we're not trying enough routes to find the best way to market. We can find stuff to push the dial and we can find stuff that, that will work. But it, in my mind, it's about being curious. It's about trying to find the best route that can work. Where can you get best bang for your buck? And that means experimenting all the time and not being fearful of doing that. The team, and this is probably the most important part of the whole process, particularly for me anyway, in the types of firms I work in. But I can't stress enough that the, the need to get stakeholder engagement on board from the off is so important. And what I'll often do here is I'll spend time to actually understand the different personas of the stakeholders within the business. And particularly when you're dealing in that boutique kind of still got the owner operator mentality to a degree. You've got people who've invested 10, 15, sometimes 20 years within that business. It's really important to understand what their personas are. You're going to find some who are real early adopters, but others who are risk averse. And it's really appreciating which ones are which and how to approach each. So what I'll often do and what I have done is I will find my early adopters. I will work with them first. It's about adapting your approach to suit those personalities. And, and the other thing I found as well is that quite often there'll be, you know, particularly depending on the industry, but there could well be senior fee earners within a business that aren't necessarily on the board, there aren't on the exco but they can be highly influential because they are big revenue generators. So quite often, actually, they can be your stakeholders. So sometimes they're not necessarily the obvious stakeholders, but actually they are the ones who carry the weight. And that was how I often worked around different personalities because those personalities are very strong. And you get it wrong, and that's it. You know, you're the new kid on the block. You're trying to change the business. You can be frozen out, and that's it. You know, and... and, it's, they've got the power to then just change the course of where this is going to go. They've also got the power to totally embrace it and really support you. The second point, starting by improving the life of the existing team. I try and do that all the time. I try and find a way to 
take pressure away from them because back to what I said at the beginning, I know I'm about to make their lives worse in the short term because I'm going to bring in more business. I'm going to bring in more leads. I'm going to bring in more things that are going to eat up time in their day. So what I'm very mindful of is I try and find quick wins that I can do to actually free up some time initially. So in Demonor, for example, they weren't using HubSpot correctly and they were replicating their kind of MIS, if you want to call it that, on a combination of Trello, Excel sheets, OneNote, and a whole range of other areas. And I said, well, we can consolidate all of that just into HubSpot so that you enter it once and then the data works for you. No more time is spent reporting and extracting and all of that. They were like, really? I said, yeah, come on. And and I made that. And I, I was very open with the CEO. I said, look, this is the elephant in the room. If you want me to help change the business and accelerate change within the business, until I can deal with that and free up some bandwidth, we can't move forward with pure marketing. So I said, it's not a glamorous part of the job, and it's not the primary job I was brought in to do. But actually, it was the most important thing strategically and operationally for the business to help it move forward. And so we spent the first three months getting all of that right. The team were like, oh, you could see them go, oh. That's a breath of fresh air. I feel like a weight has been lifted off me. And then they're on board because they're like, fantastic, you've just made my life better. And we've been trying to solve that for months and you've come in and you've sorted it. Now, great, let's go along for the journey. So now when I'm making their life a little bit challenging at the moment because of the extra stuff that we're having to manage, they're all up for it because they're bought into the bigger picture. But it did start with getting them bought into it, making their life easier. And that brings you on to the final point then, because that then immediately gives you a reputation for someone that's going to deliver. And there are so many times when we hear about, you know, the marketer comes in, starts planning this big strategy, the three to five year plan, and, you know, put yourself in the in the shoes of the CEO and the CEO is going to the monthly board meeting and the board say, great, so what's your new marketer done? Ah, oh, they're, they're still working on this big strategy. Okay, but what have we seen? Oh, yeah, well, we haven't seen anything yet. And they're kind of talking about what they're going to bring in and what they're going to do. And they're talking about doing this research. And it makes it very hard for them because that's where I put myself. I put myself in the shoes of my CEO who's vouched to bring me on board. And I want to make their job easy at board level. I want them to go into that first board meeting going, oh my God, yeah, actually what they've done is it's not pure marketing, but they've come in, they've streamlined our CRM. And now the team have got more bandwidth and we can do this. And actually, they've identified that we've got this wonderful history with our brand name that we just weren't using before. So they're already doing this and they've already increased our followers on LinkedIn by 200. And that's more than we've ever had in our history. It's just simple things, but you're then making it very easy for them to feel confident about that decision, whether it's a permanent hire, whether it's bringing in an agency. But it's, it's really important just to kind of get outside your bubble and put yourself in that perspective of who are your stakeholders? Who are the people that justified your role or your budget to bring you on board? Make it easy for them to go, that was money well spent. I find that very, very important. This is pretty much one of my last slides because Nick knows that I'm passionate about CS. CS. I'm gonna, I was going to say CSG because I get confused now with what people call it. And that's why I've just said it on here. It's not CSR, ESG. I, you know, I've just said don't label it, just do it. And the reason I'm finishing off with this is because there is so much pressure now on marketers to somehow become the steward 
for the whole ESG program for a firm, or at least I feel that with the size of firms I deal with, they don't have somebody that can just do all of that. But quite often, because it comes back to comms and marketing, they're like, oh, yeah, come on, say that we're doing this and do this. I can tell you right now from personal experience, if a firm does it as a tick box exercise, you will get unstuck with it. And it's so important to, I've pushed back on ex-co's on boards when they have pushed me. I've said, no, we are not doing it like that. And I'm just going to explain why, okay? Because if you do as a tick box exercise, that's what I consider to be an outside in method of marketing. It's just you're trying to dress stuff up on the outside, but there's actually no core substance to what you are doing. Now, a practice of marketing I've always done right the way through my career is I'm I'm a firm believer of inside-out marketing. So hence why I was talking about unearthing the value of the firm that's already there. But I also love unearthing the quality of the people, building stories through the people, using those human assets within a firm. But this is where the CSR bit comes into play because the partner that I was talking about at Demonor, now it turns out that he is the most passionate about doing our CSR program. He loves it. He loves, there's this museum in Brussels, which just is this incredible kind of sociocultural museum. But what he does every single year is he gives them a fund that enables 1,000 underprivileged kids to come and visit this museum and get a full tour of it and it becomes part of their curriculum which if it wasn't for his donation coming from our firm, they would not have any field trips or anything because their schools literally have zero budget over there, proper inner city stuff. And when you hear the impact from the teachers about what that does for the kids, it's quite fascinating. And this guy, he is so passionate about this. And that for me is where it just becomes such a natural fit because I don't have to push him on anything marketing. He's doing it right there for me. It's just different. And so he is now my CSR ambassador for the whole firm. Why? Because he lives it, he breeds it. And you know what? I can put him in front of the board and he will actually tell an authentic story because he's doing it. And that's where it really becomes incredibly valuable for you. But if you don't have those internal stakeholders that really believe it and they're just trying to force it on the agenda of the firm, I tell you what, I'm the first to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not endorsing that. And I'm giving you the right counsel because you will come unstuck. I've seen recruitment firms rock up and bearing in mind they're going up in front of heads of HR and they will stand there and say, yep, we're here. We can improve your diversity within your firm with with our recruitment practices. And what they haven't done is actually take the time to sit themselves in the position where their audience is and look at the people who are delivering that pitch. And quite invariably, the people delivering that pitch are four middle-aged white guys. And these four middle-aged white guys are saying, yes, we can change the diversity of your firm. And you've got a head of HR there going, really? Okay, next. And they just see right through it. And that's why I'd say it's better to do nothing than try and do something that's coming from an outside-in approach and doing a tick box because you will get found out. And it happens more and more so now. And the final bit there, the commercial value of CSR activities are so underestimated. They really are. Because do you know what? I can put this partner in front of a board and he's talking about what he's doing with those museums. 
And that could be the differentiator for us winning a key piece of work. Why? Because it shows that we're more concerned about other stuff, not just the balance sheet, that we're willing to put our time, our effort into something that isn't just a profit and loss activity. And it makes such a difference when you've got people that can just tell a story that isn't directly about making money, trying to close a deal. That's when they realize that actually there's a firm there that actually has some more substance to them, some more authenticity to them. And I find that really important and it's very refreshing because as we know, very hard to find differentiators nowadays. And that's why when you've got activities like that, that people are really passionate about. And the only reason I found out who's passionate about because you talk, is when you talk to them, when you ask questions, when you take the time to scratch beneath the surface of the people in the business, that's when you start finding out what they're really passionate about, where their skills are. You know, it turned out one of our guys is one of the best ultra marathon runners in the world. And he's just this quiet guy. And yet when he presented one of his, because he got our firm to sponsor him to do one of these big ultras. And when I got talking to him about it, he actually showed me the letter that he crafted to actually gain this sponsorship. And he talked about how he saw that running ultra marathons was actually really similar to what we did as a business and how it was about these cases that we take on can take three or five years to materialize and how he saw an ultra marathon took him on the same journey where the end result can seem miles and miles away and almost impossible to reach. But if you keep putting one step in front of the other, you will eventually reach there. And when I saw that, I was like, what a fantastic, authentic story. And as Frankie knows, we then made that one of our premier people stories for the whole of our annual review for the year, because we thought, what a great personal story to bring out. And again, what is it? doesn't it show depth and a differentiator in our business that they're not going to expect to see when they open up an annual review? They're just going to expect to see numbers, statistics, and everything else. Let's hit them with something different. Let's show them about the people that work at Demonor and show that's why you should come and work with Demonor as your partner, because you've got people that actually are just doing different stuff there and have meaning and purpose to what they do inside and outside of work. It's quite fascinating, but it just shows you, have the conversations. It's incredible what you can unearth and then repackage and how something that's a CSR activity can really bring commercial value to your business, but in an authentic way. I think that might bring us to the end, right, Ben? Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Kev. As it says, we do have some questions. Thank you to those of you who submitted questions. So I'll probably start with one, maybe go on to a second, and then see how we're doing for time, let people break out. So the first question, someone's obviously been on your LinkedIn because they've said you've done a whole raft of roles, whole raft of different businesses. Is there anything that from all the diverse companies you've worked with and you talked about there, that kind of uniqueness actually transcends them or something that cuts through, be it a tactic, a channel, an approach, something that you've seen sort of work for everyone? So I think in terms of what works everywhere, I think the thing I found, the, the, the commonality, people. I'm going to say that. I, I always come back to people. I love building my marketing strategies through the people at the business. I just think at the end of the day, I've always said people buy from people. I, I don't care how big or small your company is. And I often, I, I put a challenge down there to marketers at the time, and I've done this in the past. I've said, you know what, when I've seen big firms and they don't 
use the people within their marketing strategy. I think they're being lazy. I really do. And I'll, I'll say that to any marketer. I really will. Because ultimately, we all want to connect with people. That's why we're all here tonight, because it gives us a chance to actually see and connect with people again. And I don't care what industry, what geography, you know, what sector you're in. What I've always started with and I've always found works incredibly well is just working through people. I just think that's it. It just unearths, you know, people are unique. You know, that's the one thing that can never be copied. There's not a single person in your firm that can be copied. So they each tell a unique story. And I think I think the more we bring those out, the more it differentiates your company. I really do. Brilliant. Thank you. And I think we'll do one more and then I'll probably let people come and ask you all the others over tonight. So this, it actually touches on something you talked about there in your presentation, but I, I think would be really interesting. And this is one slightly cynically on the agency side I'd like to know, but is very much going to help those in-house as well, which is you obviously talked about tactics there and sort of how you've, you know, it's not all about strategy. Anyone here who works in agency will know the number one thing clients ask is show me return on investment, show me the results. And for those of you who are in-house, I'm sure that's because you're getting hit by your boards, your CEOs, show me the results, show me the, you know, the strategy, the vision, the plan. How have you got those companies you've worked with comfortable with a tactical approach to give you that room so that you don't have to you know, jump right into a strategy and sort of just fingers crossed it's going to work. I talk a lot with the stakeholders, but not just the stakeholders. I always think that, you know, at least I, I've always described it, I always think I do the luckiest job in any firm because I get to work with everybody in the company, but I get to do it in a positive way. I always think, you know, when you're the marketer, you get to work with everybody and all you're trying to do is just help them. And I think when they know that you're coming from a perspective of sincerity, that you are genuinely there to help them, and in the process, it helps the business. So I don't go in and say, right, I'm going to do this for the business. I start off by going, what can we do for you that's going to improve what you want to achieve? What are your objectives for this year? What's going to make your appraisal process go well for you this year? How can I help you get to there? And I start off with the people, I think, and because I go in with that approach, then I say, okay, well, let's try a few things. Let's experiment. Are you up for doing that? And I get their permission. And then what I do is once we have done that, then I'll often get them to sell that back into the business. So that's when I step back and I'll then get them talking about their case studies, their experiences and how different things have worked so that then they're the ambassadors. I don't have to do it. And then I get other people coming to me saying, yeah, can we do this? But I definitely realize I start off by going, how can we help the individual be the best version of them within the firm? And then by default, it helps the business. But I don't go with business first. I go with people first. And that makes sense. I guess talks to what you said around actually being open and honest as well and just having those conversations. Yeah, if you, if you say, okay, well, look, have we done this before? No. Okay, so by the nature of it, we need to experiment. But let's monitor it and let's assess it and let's review it afterwards. And hey, if it didn't work, great. We know. We've kept a record of it. We'll try something else next time. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to, just because I'm sure we could talk all night, but I want those who want to find out the answer to their questions will come over to you later, I'm sure. I want to give everyone a chance to meet each other as well. So I think we'll draw a close to the presentation here. So thank you, Kevin, for that. That was brilliant. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. 
If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.